We want to thank all of you that have been praying for my family. Uh, my father has finally conceded to go into assisted living. So they will be doing that sometime in the next, uh, the next week or so. Uh, in the meantime, my brother and I and my precious wife, Lori, and, uh, and some other people have, are doing what we can to, to, to minister to them. And someone's been with them pretty much 24 hours a day for the last week and a half, almost two weeks now. Uh, so we're tired. <laughs> I'm a little grumpy this morning, so if that comes through, I apologize. Uh, but again, we just want to thank you for, for praying. I know that everyone here is praying for them and for us. And it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, We're going to be turning back into 1 Timothy this morning, leaving the Easter story and all the things that led up to that uh, over the last couple of weeks. We'll be starting with verse 12. Before that, just just remember that this is a, this is a letter written by Paul to his protege, Timothy, whom he loves. He, he acknowledges in, in a number of places in his epistles that Timothy is his spiritual son. And he is Timothy's spiritual father. He loves this man very greatly. Uh, historically, the context here is this, is Paul has, he's, had been on his second missionary journey, and he picked up uh, Timothy uh, during that time. And uh, actually, he's on his third journey now. He's left. He went to Ephesus. Paul was there for three years. Paul got run out of town on a rail, if you're familiar with the story. In a sense, he left Timothy there. There was a lot of things that were still going on there that needed to be addressed in a pastoral sense. And so he left Timothy there in his place. And this letter has a purpose, and that is to help Timothy understand why he's there. And at the same time, to encourage Timothy in the ministry that God has called him to continue in in Paul's absence, and one of the main things that Timothy is dealing with is people who are teaching wrong doctrines. In other words, and let me just say this to you, that it's very conceivable that some of these were doing this uh, on purpose. We need to understand that there are false prophets who knew, know what they're doing. They understand what they're doing. At the same time, we know it's also very likely that some of these may be well-hearted in, in all of that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've been called by God to be teachers in the church, uh, and, and they, because very often because of ignorance and things like that, have been teaching things that just are not biblical. So Timothy's main function here is to keep people on track, to lay forth the essentials of the 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 faith and to instruct people properly in all of those things not just little one or two things but in everything the whole gamut the whole picture so verses 12 we're going to read through 15 i think that's about where we're going to get today uh, I thank uh, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has, uh, has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the, the faith and, and love with which we are found in Jesus. 
It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who I am foremost of all. And we had, we had kind of ended our last service, uh, our last sermon in, in 1 Timothy uh, with that verse. But we're going to go back before that now because I brought it up a little bit early. Uh, well, notice here this, that Paul is thanking Christ Jesus. And he's thanking him not because uh, of things that, that Paul has been able to do and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What you're going to find in Paul, and it's very obvious in this passage and in lots of other places, is this. He, he was very knowledgeable, uh, very strong-willed in a sense when it came to matters of the Lord. Uh, but at the same time, he was a very humble man. He knew this. He knew that if there was anything special about Paul, it was because of what God had done, not what Paul had done. He did doubt, not doubt that one bit. And he thanks him. He thanks him because if there's any strength in him, it's because Christ Jesus has given it to him. So the proper response of Paul is not not arrogance, it's not pride, it's not being puffed up because of this, this title that he's been given, the title of apostle, which was just given to a handful of people, right? A handful of men many, many years ago. He's one of them. We can understand the human heart. We can understand how it would be very easy to be puffed up if you were in that situation, thinking there must, in fact, be something really, really special about me that I've done that God would put me in a position like this. But see, Paul understands otherwise. He understands that if indeed there's any good in Paul, there's any good that Paul has done, it has been God at work in him and through him that has accomplished it, not Paul himself. If you read this verse, let me just tell you, this is an example of where you can take a verse and read it out of context and come away with a very different meaning than what is intended here. I want to warn you guys about doing this. People do it all the time. You can pull a verse out of Scripture from here, there, or yonder and make the Bible say just about anything you want it to. There are people that have concluded here that what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, 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 uh, that God looked upon him and he regarded him as a faithful servant because of what he had done, and now he's rewarded him by making him an apostle. It kind of sounds like that, right? I have thanks in Christ Jesus our Lord who made me strong because, or so as a result, of the fact he regarded me as being faithful. Now, why do we know? How do we know that that reading it in that light is not what is meant here? We know it because the meaning of that would be completely and absolutely, totally contrary to everything Paul says elsewhere and everything the Bible says about these things. So we can't understand it in that light, even though some people choose to do that. The best for way for us to understand the Bible, God, is to, guys, is to study the whole thing. Not little tiddly bits and chunks of it. Let me ask you something. How well do you think you might know chemistry if you just went through a chemistry book and pulled out a sentence there, one over there, and there, and there? 
would you be a very much of an expert in chemistry if you just took a thousand sentences out of a ten thousand sentence book? No. Context, context, context. There's another really big reason why we can know that that's not what is intended here. And that is this. We know that Paul was not called to be an apostle later on, that Paul was called by Jesus to be an apostle at the very time of his conversion. It wasn't after he had served him for some time, and Paul had proven himself to be worthy of becoming an apostle. Think about his conversion on the road to Damascus. Remember, there was a fellow in Damascus named Ananias that uh, was supposed to go to Paul and, you know, and all of that, and he was afraid to do that because he heard of Paul's reputation and all of this. But this is what Jesus said to Ananias. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel at the time of his conversion, not later. This was God's intention for the Apostle Paul all along. Paul had been a Pharisee. And and let me tell you, Paul acknowledged himself as being a Pharisee even later on. In other words, he still, you know, carried the title in some circles of, of being a Pharisee. He would describe himself to certain groups as being a Pharisee, just as they are. But he was exceptionally zealous for his Pharisaism. In other words, he was a Pharisee above Pharisees. He had a passion for their religion. He had a passion for his religion like few other people around him had. One of the things we should glean from the, uh, this is that Paul is absolutely astounded as he reflects upon himself and he reflects upon the sin in his life. In all of that, he's absolutely astounded. He's dumbfounded, in a sense, that God would call someone such as he is to do what God has called him to do. The truth is that if Jesus had not appeared to Paul that day, he would have continued to be a zealous Pharisee. Misleading, misteaching. And let me tell you something. Paul was one of those who was doing it, and he was doing it with very great fervence. But he thought that he was doing right. He believed that Phariseeism was a true religion. Pharisaism was true religion. I just want to say this to you this morning. There is not one single person ever, ever in all of the history of the church that has ever been called to be a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, elder, whatever you want to call, whoever, that truly fill that office who was not called by God to do it. Not because 
They deserved it. Ever. Not one single time. You look at yourself as feeling a little bit foolish. Maybe you don't know the Bible like you really ought to or anything like that. Or maybe, you know, you feel like you're in a position where people in the world kind of look down upon you because you don't have possessions and you don't seem to be that smart and you don't ever know what the right thing to say is and all those other kinds of things. Let me just tell you, if that's you, then you might be the very best candidate in this room to do something like this. Because more often than not, not, God calls those people who would be least likely to do these things. And it may very well be you. Verse 13, Paul describes some of his former self, even though I was formerly one who spoke against God, any persecutor, any violent man. Uh, But I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul is in right and heart, and he understands where he was. And he understands where he is, and he understands that there's only one who has brought him there, and it's been the Lord himself. You see, other people knew Paul by his actions. And the same thing is true for you and I. People know us by our actions. They know us by what they see us do and what they see us not do. Right? But Paul knew his own heart. I mean, he knew the truth. He understood what the truth was. In the Jewish community, anyone that spoke against basically their religion, anyone that did that was considered to be committing blasphemy. And others were speaking against God basically is is probably the best way for us to understand what blasphemy is, is saying something false about God, claiming something false in regard to God. And just remember this. If someone asks you, what was the charge? We know that Jesus was tried and he was crucified and all that. But, but if someone asks you what the charge was that was leveled against him, do you know what it would be? In other words, the charge that they found grounds, they thought upon, to bring him to trial? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Now, can you imagine that? These people were charging the Son of God with speaking falsely about God. big mistake there was a time when Paul utterly and absolutely denied that Jesus Christ was the son of God and the savior of man there's a sense and almost you could say this that he hated people who believed that rubbish he thought that they were stupid that they were ignorant, that they were blind, that they were fools, and their religion was worthless, meaningless, useless. 
And Paul, or Saul at that time, Saul the Pharisee was doing everything he could to stomp it out before it spread any further, this nonsense. Paul was persecuting the church like probably no one else was. If you read the Bible, as far as the very early suffering that's going on in regard to our brothers and sisters in those days, a lot of it was at the hands of Paul and men like Paul. But notice this, that when, uh, when he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, that Jesus said, <laughs> The, the conversation opened up with a question or a statement made by Jesus, and the statement was, Saul, because his name was still Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? So what Jesus is saying is this, is that by persecuting my church, you are actually persecuting me. Now, can you imagine what an impact that message would have upon Paul as he begins to realize and consider how wrong he was? And to finally begin to see what the real truth is. He would become the biggest opponent to Pharisaic Judaism, legalism. There probably would be a lot of people who would say this. Well, the apostle Paul must have committed the sin of blasphemy. And he did, right? He admits it here. Uh, Isn't it amazing how often the Lord converts people that no one expects? It's very, it's very well likely that in those days, if you had a list of people least likely to be called to, be, to become a Christian, that Paul's name might very well have been at the very tip top of everybody's list. Remember Simon the Zealot? Why was he called a zealot? Because he was very zealous for the Jewish people. He was a man consumed with driving out the Romans, and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. No one probably ever thought that Simon the Zealot would become one of those Christians. Think about people like Augustine and Luther. They were both very worldly people, very great sinners. You understand what Paul is saying here is painting a picture for Timothy and for others that will read this letter of how great a sinner he actually was. That he committed some really, really terrible, awful crimes. Many of you heard me talk about Sam Kasuli. You heard that name, Sam Kasuli? Pastor in Uganda. He used to be the town drunk in Fort Portal. He didn't take care of his family. He beat his wife. He beat his kids. The last person in Fort Portal people ever thought would become one of those Christians was probably Sam Kasuli. But let me tell you, as far as a tender heart 
and a knowledge. He, he impresses me with the theological knowledge that he has uh, and, and all of that that he's, he's learned from the missionary. He's never had any formal schooling or anything like that. But let me tell you, he knows his theology better than everybody in this room, including me probably. And the word of God too. There's a lady in our midst named Joan. There were people around her that she, she will tell you this. I can speak on her behalf because her testimony is very similar to mine. And, that, and, and she used to speak out against Christianity. It wasn't that she kind of turned a blind eye or a deaf ear to things and just let people do their thing and forget about it. She was aggressive, in a sense, against people who believe this hogwash. And you've heard about me. I remember my, one of my best friends that, that witnessed to me and, and all of that for a number of years. One day told me, he said, Keith, I prayed for you. I talked with you. I witnessed to you. But you're the last person on the face of the earth I ever thought would become a Christian. Now, why do you think God does things like that, at least on occasion? There's certainly good reasons for it, and one of those is this, is it shows who really is in charge now, doesn't it? It, 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 it makes very distinct difference or, or distinction between truth and untruth. There's nothing like taking your enemy, in a sense, humbling that enemy to the point that they become your very best friend or one of your best friends. Things like that, the world notices. Paul understands grace like few people ever have and ever will have, I think, or ever will. Uh, Verse 16, and yet for this reason I found mercy in order that in, uh, in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. I mean, what do you think people were saying when the Apostle Paul was, was converted? What do you think his Pharisee friends thought of it? He's lost his mind. He'll come back soon. Paul knows grace. Uh, And what we're told here is this. And let me just tell you that that grace, there's all kinds of definitions for it, but I I think the very best one that we could possibly ever use is unmerited favor. In other words, when favor is granted, when favor is, is everything but favor is what is due. Unmerited favor. Kindness shown that is completely and absolutely undeserved. 
You see, where sin is great, God's grace is far greater. See, Paul understands the greatness of God's grace because he sees where he was and how God came to him and God changed him and God brought him. He knows that without that, it never would have happened. Let me just say, as far as salvation goes, there's four different groups of people. Every person in the whole planet falls into one of these four groups. One of those is the people who are saved and they know it. In other words, you can actually know that you're saved. How can you know you're saved? Because you know whether you depend upon and rely upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or not. Really. These are the people who understand that they are saved by grace through faith, period. They know it's not because of what they have done, but it's what God has done for them over and over again. So that's group number one. Group number two are those who are not saved and they know it. They don't even want to be saved. This whole saved thing is just ridiculous. In other words, we're talking about unbelievers here. They care nothing about it. Number three. Those who believe they're saved, but they're really not. Because they believe they're saved for the wrong reasons. They believe they're saved by their own good works. They believe that they're acceptable to Jesus Christ because of themselves, because of what they do and what they've done. They claim Jesus Christ but they bear no fruit of it. Unfortunately, one of my great fears is there's a large number of people in today's world that fall into that category. And it becomes very apparent when you just have simple conversations with people about the gospel, and it becomes apparent, even though they're claiming Jesus, they don't even understand what the gospel is. They just think Jesus is a good person, and if I want to be good, then I'd be like Jesus, and I'd be like Jesus, then I'm good enough to go to heaven. And that's just not what the Bible tells us. And there are people who would argue against this one, but I truly believe that there are people who are saved, and they don't actually know it. I think there are some people who believe that their sin is so grievous, there's just no way that God can save them, that God can forgive them. I mean, can you imagine the transition that you would go through if maybe you had been uh, an abuser, a raper of small children? Or of women? Or if you had murdered people? And then one of these days comes along and you learn about Jesus. But you know your sin is so bad, your, your sin is so deep, your guilt is so great that it cannot be overcome. But let me tell you, Paul stands as his lasting example of a lot of things, but one of those is this. He stands as an example of someone who sinned really, really super-duper, humongously big. He had blood on his hands. The blood of Christians on his hands. 
and God forgave him. That's why Paul understands how great God's grace is. Because he knows just how bad he was. And not only how bad he was, but how bad he continues to be. Paul had a faith of sorts before. Everyone believes in something, and what you believe in is what you have faith in. Right? He believed in Pharisaism. He believed it was the true religion. But legalism doesn't foster love. Legalism fosters hatred and self-righteousness, etc., 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 See, Paul, when he became a believer, he experienced grace. And through that grace, he experienced love and mercy and compassion. And all of those things in a way that he he may have known what the definition of those words were, but he had never experienced anything like these things in his whole entire lifetime. What has been your experience? Seriously. It's a trustworthy word and worthy of complete acceptance as Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Who I am foremost, not who was foremost, but who am today, the time I'm writing this letter. A trustworthy statement, well, let me tell you something, it better be. Because if it's not, you and I are in deep weeds. We have before us one of the clearest, simplest statements of the gospel you can find in all of Scripture. It's trustworthy that there really is salvation by grace through faith. Then what more is there to say? But if there's not, if it's not trustworthy, we're in deep weeds. We're wasting our time. Christianity is a lie. Our religion is useless, worthless. And we should be pitied above all people. But, there's that but we were talking about that in Sunday school. 
Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not good. This is a good but. But. It is true. Let me ask you guys, or I, tell, I say this this morning, and that is if, if, if you're talking with people and they ask you, why did Jesus come into the world? Well, one of the things you should be able to say, just based upon this, is that he came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Sinners like me, sinners like you. There might be a better answer to that question. But this is a very good one. The one I would say would probably supersede it would be this. That the primary reason Jesus came into the world was to glorify God. And he did that by saving sinners. Notice here again that when Paul makes this statement, he's not talking about, in past context, he's not talking about those days when he was actively blaspheming and persecuting and doing all those other things. He's talking about the day in which he writes this letter. He still sees himself through his own eyes, and those eyes tell him that he still is the foremost among sinners because he is far more attuned to his own sin than he is to the sins of other people. He knows his heart. He's not kidding himself. He's not going around patting himself on the back saying, you know what, I know I've got a few little faults, but I'm really, really a pretty good person. And I can feel good about it. Let me tell you, you can feel good about it in a sense. But if there's any good in you, I'm telling you this morning, if there's any good, if there's an ounce of good in you, there's an inkling of good in you, it's because God put it there. It's not because of you. So who gets the credit? He does. Always. So who, in your eyes, deserves the title of chief among sinners? Him? Her? So-and-so? Them, those people, that person. Or me. Meaning you. Except for me. Right? See, if you understand that, then you understand grace. And where grace truly is, grace abounds. I mean, those people like Paul who have been shown so much grace, and it's obvious to him how, how great this grace is, so abundant he can't even measure it. They're all about grace when it comes to other people. Those harsh judgments we make so often about the people driving in the car next to us because they do something we don't like or appreciate. 
Guys, that's not grace. That's the world. Well, forgive me this morning. I'm a little bit on the tired side. (laughs) Actually lost track of where I was a couple of times, which you probably noticed. And if you didn't, you will next time. Uh, But, I mean, do you get the point of all this? And is it making a difference? Are you going to wake up tomorrow, and is tomorrow going to be different than the day was? Or is it going to be the same old thing all over again? What do you think? You need to understand something. There's a sense in which God changed you, but there's another sense in which God is changing you. And that's important. Really.